Good morning. It's going to be a great day in the neighborhood as we talk about those people. And it's just so good to be with you. It was great being with our 9 o'clock uh, worship and great to be with you today, just interacting with you and seeing you and worshiping and fellowshipping with you guys. Uh, we love you guys so much. And I just want to say to you as a church, thank you for being so passionate about Jesus and following him and helping others do the same. It's just absolutely incredible. And if it's your first time here, you picked a really great day to be here. Um, it's just going to be a lot of fun to be together and talk and to uh, pray and to worship today. Um, just a little thing I want to tell you to make sure that uh, you're aware if you need to know. Um, in just a little bit, we are going to have communion together. And um, for some of you, we know that uh, you need gluten-free. You need that. And so we're making that available um, at this table here and at that table um, in the back in the middle. And so if you need that, um, they're available and it's marked there. And you can uh, worship the Lord uh, in communion um, in that in just a little bit. Well, we kicked off this series called Those People uh, just a few weeks ago, and we talked about overly needy people, and believe it or not, we didn't talk about the Razorbacks on that day. And then last week, we talked about manipulative people, and um, we had a lot of fun with that and uh, just describing all that and walking through all that. And today, we're going to talk about hypocritical people. Now, of course... <clears throat> I know that you're going to tell your friends that they need to watch and listen to this online uh, because, you know, there's not any hypocritical people here today, right? So you're going to tell them to get on the app and to listen and to hear what they should have heard if they would have been here. But I want to remind you of what we've been telling you for three weeks in a row now. It's huge. Two huge truths, okay? That at one time or another, we were all those people. And I want to remind you of these two huge truths. Number one, God loves those people. And so God loves them and God loves you. And if you found yourself being the manipulative person or whatever, I just want you to know God loves you. He loves you fully and completely. And then the second truth, which is just as big, just as huge, just as powerful, Jesus died for those people. And so Jesus died for them and Jesus died for you. And so there's hope for all of us. And we want you to know that there is hope for you today. So today we're going to talk about hypocritical people, and so we're going to interact just a little bit, do some uh, hand-raising and response here, so help me out. Uh, how many of you um, know a Christian, okay, someone that claims to know Jesus? How many of you know a Christian? They already got their hands up. That's awesome. Let me finish the question. Uh, I'm glad you know a Christian. That is so good to know. All right. How many of you know a Christian who you find to be and believe to be Hypocritical. Go ahead and raise your hand. Go for it. It's all right. You can do it. I'm raising my hand. All right. Cool. 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 Now, how many of you are sitting next to that person right now? Do not raise your hand. Do not. Woo, some of you went for it anyway. Don't do it. Don't do it. So as we're talking about hypocritical people, let's get a word on the screen here and define this word hypocrite to make sure we know what we're talking about. Okay? Hypocrite. Put it in your notes. An actor, a stage player. Someone who hides behind a mask. And when you have kids at home, you have all kinds of fun stuff, right? It's this idea that you are pretending to be somebody that you are not. You are hiding behind something, and behind that is something completely different. It's this idea of playing a role, but you're not the real thing. One of the biggest criticisms of Christianity today, you hear it, I hear it, People will say this. They will say, all of those Christians are just a bunch of fill-in-the-blank. Hypocrites. 
And sadly, we have to agree that a lot of times that's true, right? There's a lot of people who claim to know Jesus, talk about following Jesus, but their lives don't look anything like Jesus. And I don't want that to be said of us. I'd like for that not to be said of any of Christianity, but today let's just talk about this whole thing of being a hypocrite and just hopefully through the Word of God begin to squish it. So um, maybe it's the guy at work, you know, and he's all Jesus this and Jesus that, and then he follows up Jesus this and Jesus that with just terrible foul language and speaking inappropriately about women. Or maybe it's that student at student ministry who at student ministry is like super Christian, but they're cheating on their test at school and they partied way too hard this weekend. Or, or maybe it's the lady who talks about everybody, but makes it really spiritual by talking about them in the form of prayer request. Love that one, right? Or maybe it's the guy that goes around singing, raise a hallelujah all the time, blessings this and blessings that, but then he goes home and he blesses out his wife and he blesses out his kids. Uh, man, it's just so easy to find ourselves living in hypocrisy. What do people say when they find out you're a Christian? You know, you meet somebody, they've gotten to know you a little bit, and, and that time comes for them to find out that you're a Christian. Do they, do they respond like this? You're a Christian? Right? Do they follow it up with yikes? Or do they say, oh, you're a Christian, and kind of have an aha moment. That explains why you've been acting and talking and doing the things that you do. How do people respond when they find out that you're a Christian? Listen to me, people. Listen to me. Listen to me. There are people who are hurting, and they are desperate to run into someone who looks and responds like Jesus. Did you hear what I'm saying? People are hurting, and they are desperate to run into me, run into you, and find Jesus. So may when they bump into me, may when they bump into you, find him. Christians, we need to let Jesus change us. Speaking of Jesus, we want to read some of his words this morning in Matthew chapter 15. We're going to look there and look at God's word together this morning. Um, if you need a Bible, there should be one in the seat underneath in front of you. And those black Bibles will be on page number 813. Matthew chapter 15, page 813 in the Black Bibles. We're going to pick up in verse number 7. And before we read verse number 7, I want to back up and just let you know what comes before. Because you got verse 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. It makes it very clear in this passage, of which we don't have the time to read all of it and explain all of it. But Jesus is talking to religious people. He's not talking to random people on the street who don't know God, who don't claim to know God. Who, who aren't religious. He's talking to religious people. He's talking to people that are saying they are following God. They are saying that they obey God. They say that they know God. And what has happened with these people who claim to know God, who are claiming to be religious, is they are saying one thing and they are doing another. They are preaching one way and they are living another. They are talking one way and they are acting another. And Jesus makes this declaration about them. Now, I think most of us in the room would agree that when it comes to Jesus, we believe that he's perfect. I know as believers, we believe that Jesus is perfect, that he doesn't make mistakes, that he understands everything, that he does everything correctly. It's just who he is because he is God. And he makes this declaration, being Jesus, about these people. And he says in verse number 7, you, hypocr excuse me, you hypocrites. And so he declares this about this religious group of people. You are wearing a mask. 
You are playing a role, but you're not the real thing. And I don't know about you, for me to say somebody's a hypocrite, that's a pretty big deal, and i got to be careful with that. But for Jesus to say, you're a hypocrite, I mean, obviously it's a big deal. And so he makes this declaration in verse number 7, and he says, you hypocrites. And then he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Pause for just a moment. These religious people not only knew who Isaiah was, a prophet in the Old Testament, they had probably, as being religious leaders, had probably memorized the whole book of Isaiah. And so what Jesus was about to say, they were completely familiar with. He's called them hypocrites, and he's saying, I'm going to tell you a prophecy that Isaiah gave several hundred years ago, and it wasn't about a bunch of people over there. Look at verse number 8. He says, these people. He doesn't even say those people. He looks at the crowd that he's with, these religious leaders, and he says, these people. And look on in verse number 8. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So they're saying one thing, but their motives and their um, plans and all of their things that they're really thinking in their heart don't match up with anything that they're saying. Look at verse number 9. Their worship is a farce. It's just a facade. It's not real. It's only for show. He goes on in verse number 9 to say, For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. They teach man-made ideas as commands from God. So these people were so spiritual, so religious, that not only did they claim to follow the rules of God, they made up their own rules to follow the rules of God. And they were teaching these rules that they made up to follow the rules as the way, as the commands. And he's saying, listen, you got to stop this stuff. In our culture today, okay, in our context today, Jesus would have been talking to churchgoers. He would have been talking to Christians. He would have been talking to people that go to church. He would have been talking to people that would sing when the songs are sung, that go through all the motions. And he's saying to them, and he's maybe saying to us today, that listen, you're saying one thing, but you're doing another. You talk the talk, but you don't walk the walk. They teach other things besides the gospel. They're teaching religious ideas and not the gospel. Now, these guys that he was talking to, as they made up rules to follow the rules, their whole idea of how we get from here in our humanity to get into the presence of divinity, the presence of God, is through perfection. And so we follow the rules to help us follow the rules. And as we follow the rules, we get good enough and we get to God. Now, think about this for a second. They're teaching and they're preaching perfection. Guess what they are doomed for? Hypocrisy. Why? Because they were just like us. They were imperfect. And so their whole system was setting them up for hypocrisy. And Jesus is moving in and he's beginning to blow it up. So how do we claim Jesus and follow Jesus? How do we claim Jesus and follow Jesus even though we're not perfect and we don't want to be a hypocrite about it. In other words, how do I say I'm a follower of Jesus even though I'm not perfect? And how do I go about that and not be a hypocrite? How does that work? How do I do that? How do you do that very thing? Well, we've got the word hypocrisy over here. And, and I just want to tell you that the way this works, and hopefully this visual will help you a little bit as you think through um, following Jesus and um, not being perfect and also not being a hypocrite. It all begins with the letter I, and I'm just going to put a big, giant I up here, okay? It becomes, it, it, it starts with me being real and me saying, I am not perfect. And me saying, 
I struggle with this and I struggle with that. It begins with transparency and humility and all of us beginning to say, you know what? I do things that I shouldn't do. Now, let me ask you this question. And again, little, little hands uh, in the air for me. How many of you, if you're a believer, if you're a believer, how many of you um, struggle in your mind or with your actions or with your thoughts or with your motives or with the temptations that come your way? How many of you in the room as believers, you'd be honest and say that you struggle with sin? Anybody raise your hand? Okay, awesome, awesome. Most every hand, if you didn't put your hand up, wow. We'll stop there. <laughs> All right, now, how many of you would be willing to lift your hand up and wait for me to call your name and you tell us exactly which sin in particular it is that you're dealing with? I'm good. I'll give you a quote on the screen. A friend of mine uh, put uh, this quote out there by his pastor, uh, Pastor Shea, and he said this, A church that is not safe to confess sin is a church where sin is safe. Process that for just a moment. Let that land. A church that is not safe to confess sin is a church where sin is safe. In other words, we just don't do that here. We don't talk about that here. And so guess what happens when we don't confess sin and when we're not honest about our sin in the church? Guess what happens? Sin abounds in the church. Should sin abound in the church, yes or no? No, no, sin should not abound in the church, right? It shouldn't abound. But if we don't create a space where we can be honest about what we struggle with and what we're dealing with and where we have failed and where we are failing, then sin is absolutely going to abound. So I thought I would just maybe help a little bit here and just tell you a few things about me that are really honest um, in some areas that I struggle. Um, it's not the complete list. Uh, but I'm going to give you some things, man, where I just, whew, I struggle. Uh, I'll, I'll get started with pride. I am so prone to pride. I like to win. If I'm not careful, I will try to win at any cost. And when I say win, you're probably thinking about like sports. And I don't just mean like sports. I mean like in anything. I want to come out on top. I want to look better than you. I want to sound better than you. I want to be better than you. And when that creeps up in me, man, it is, just gets ugly in a hurry. I struggle with pride. Another thing, and if you've been hanging around here any time at all, you've heard me talk about this struggle. It's been real for me. I became aware of it when I was young. I'm still struggling with it um, and, and asking God to help me with it because it just, it just creeps up on me. It's my anger. My anger, uh, my kids get a lot of me in them, and, and I see that welling up in them, and I tell my kids all the time, like, anger is one letter from danger, right? Like, if my anger controls me, if your anger controls you, we're going to get really silly and really stupid and really feel foolish and really hurtful in a hurry. Anger, it creeps up on me. It creeps up on me. Um, man, another one is just harshness. Harshness. Um, I was told when I was young, and I guess it's right that I've got this, some people call it a gift of gab. That's what I was told when I was young, that I, I'm pretty good at talking a lot. But my gift, I've learned, can be used to really build people up, or my gift can actually be a curse on people because I can use that same power and same ability to tear people up with my harshness. And sometimes for me, it's not what I say, it's how I say it. Anybody else resonate with that just a little bit? Like, I may tell you something that, that needed to be said, but, man, I said it in such a way that I, like, just sliced you and diced you completely. I struggle with these things. 
Oh, impatience. Do we need to talk about that one just a little bit? Uh, I know nobody else in here is struggling with that. I struggle with that. I struggle with that. I struggle with that with my kids. Like, I want my kids to be perfect, right? <laughs> you ought to know I was a comedian, did you? I want my kids to be perfect, and I'm impatient with them. And I expect something out of them that sometimes I can't even expect out of myself. And it's rooted in my impatience, in my impatience. So here's what I'm saying to you this morning is that we need a safe space. And I know that term has been used a lot lately, like on college campuses and stuff. Give me a break. But anyway, in the church, I do believe that we need a safe space where we can confess our sin. Now, probably, most likely, in most circumstances, in most situations, we're not talking about in this big gathering right here. We're talking about knowing some other believers that we're doing life and following Jesus with, and that's what the church looks like, that we know that we can trust and that we know they love us, and we know that we go, when we go to them, we're going to get the appropriate biblical response from them when we confess our sin to them. Listen to me. Listen to me carefully. If someone comes to you trusting that they can confess their sin to you, let me tell you what they do not want nor need. Your opinion. In fact, some of you are like, what are you even talking about? Somebody coming to me and confessing my sin. Nobody ever does that. Maybe, just maybe, the reason why no one ever enters into a conversation with you like that is because they know all they're going to get from you is your opinion and your sermon and your self-righteousness and your condensation, um, condensation, condemnation um, upon them. A train went off in the first service. I don't even know. Like, if you weren't here, I don't even know. Condemnation. They don't need nor do they want your opinion. Guess what they need? Guess what you want and guess what you need when you choose to be so bold to say, this is what I'm struggling with. Guess what you want and guess what you need? The gospel. My job, when someone is willing to be honest with me about their struggle, about their failure, and about their sin, my response to them should be the gospel. I should remind them of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And some of you may be saying, wait a minute, I thought we were talking about believers. I thought we were talking about Christians. I thought we were talking about people who are already saved. We are. Listen, believers, you are still desperate for the gospel. The need in your life right now to help you follow Jesus is not grit your teeth and follow more rules. What you need in your life right now is the gospel. You need to be reminded of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus who frees us. If we don't confess our sin, if we don't confess it, guess what we do? We fake it. We fake it because we want people to think good of us, right? We want people to think we're a Christian. We want them to think that we're a good churchgoer. We want them to think that we're a follower, and so if we don't confess it, we just fake it. We fake it. What we need is to gospel one another. And so it begins with being real and being transparent and saying, I, this is who I am, this is what I do, and being honest. And then it culminates in this, okay? It culminates in repentance. In other words, I don't want to be that anymore. I want to be different. And repentance looks like this. Repentance looks like going in honesty and transparency, being honest with Jesus and going to the cross. Listen, the cross causes hypocrisy to vanish. Because at the cross, here's what we find. We find the perfection that we all long for and are all desperate for, and it's found in Jesus. 
okay? We find that perfection in the cross. We also find real, honest, transparent. This is who I am. This is how I've messed up. This is how I blew it. This is how I sinned. And we also find repentance. I don't want to be that way anymore. And through that repentance and through that confession, we experience forgiveness and we experience life change. The cross of Christ, the gospel, is actually how we get rid of hypocrisy in our lives. If you are saved, you need to be living today by the gospel. Some of you got saved a long time ago, and you're trying to live by your good works today. And I'm telling you, you need to live by the gospel. By the gospel. That's what we're desperate for. So what, what do we do with hypocrites that we know, like people who are believers, people in the church? What do, we, what do we do with hypocrites when we see them and we know it's there? We just leave them alone? Uh, do, do we ignore them? Do we talk about them? Hope they go away? What do we do? Maybe, to, maybe we should write a bunch of rules on the wall. Maybe we should put a bunch of rules on the wall. And those of us that know the rules get to go around blowing everybody up who breaks the rules, right? That's what we should do. Bunch of rules and be the law dog. You blow it. Boom. Got you. All right? No more hypocrisy, right? Doesn't work, does it? In fact, that's what the religious leaders that Jesus was talking to was doing, and he declared them to be what? Hypocrites. So what do we do? I want to remind you, we're not talking about unbelievers here. We're not talking about your neighbor who doesn't know, doesn't declare, doesn't follow Jesus. We're talking about Christians. We're talking about people who have claimed Christ as their Savior and their Lord. What if I told you that the Scripture teaches us to confront them? Now, for some of you in the room who have that non-confrontational personality about you, you're like, whoop, lost me there, Right? For others of us, maybe our personality doesn't really push back on it that hard, but still, in this whole context of confrontation, you're like, eh, I don't, I don't really think that's, that's where I need to go. Listen, we got to be reminded, and put this in your notes, listen to me. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. They need Jesus. We need Jesus. And I'm speaking within the context of Christianity. Of believers. I need Jesus, you need Jesus, they need Jesus, we need Jesus. And so what they need is a confrontation that the scripture calls for that's going to point them to Jesus. Look at Galatians chapter 6. And in Galatians chapter 6, I just want to remind you that our mission in life is to help people find and help me out, to find and follow Jesus. Well, what does it look like for me to help you find Jesus? Well, I tell you about Jesus, right? Like he died for you. He came back from the dead. Like he wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to be your savior. He wants to come into your life. Accept him, believe him, and he will forgive you. That's how we help people find Jesus. Well, how do I help people follow Jesus? Well, here's a list of rules, and if you keep them, then you'll look more like Jesus. No, no, that's not what, looking, that's not what it looks like at all. It looks like me consistently pointing people to Jesus. And when something in their life is taking them the way of sin, I say, no, that's not the way you need to go. You need to go towards Jesus. It's not because I'm perfect that I'm pointing you towards Jesus. It's because I am being honest and I am being real and I am being transparent and I am being repentant. And it's only through Jesus that I can even say that to you. It's only through his grace that I can appoint you to grace. Look at Galatians chapter 6 and look at verse number 1. Says, dear brothers and sisters, and so the context here is the family of God. Okay, again, not your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus, your brother and sister in Christ. 
Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are, what does it say? You who are what? Now, as believers, don't we want to be godly, right? Like, isn't that like our aim, our goal? Like, don't we want to be described, if you're a Christian, as godly? Like, who as a Christian wants to be described as ungodly? It just doesn't work, does it? So as a Christian, we want to be godly. He says, you who are godly should gently and humbly, two very important words, should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. So let me give you three things um, that would help you with prayerful confrontation, okay? Prayerful confrontation. Number one. God, help me confront with the goal of restoration. God, help me confront with the goal of restoration. If your heart and passion right now is, man, I want to go straighten them out. I want to tell them what's up. I want to give them what for. I want to show them how wrong they are. I want them to feel as low as they possibly can feel. I want to beat them into the ground. I want them to feel like a piece of junk. You probably have no business whatsoever exercising going through confrontation right now. Okay? You have a total different unbiblical view of confrontation. But if you find yourself right now saying, you know what? I'm honest about where I am. I'm real and I'm transparent. And I've repented of everything. And you can go to them in the spirit of Jesus. And you can go to them saying, you know what? My goal with you is not to be right. My goal with you is to help us be right with Jesus. When that happens, man, you can move in and God can use you in a mighty and powerful way. I'm really encouraged to be able to tell you this. It's happening within our church. Like we're watching God do this. What we're reading in Galatians, we're watching God do this within our church. And so if I say that, that means that people within our church are struggling with sin. Ha ha, they are. We are. And as God is revealing that, there are humble people who are going gently in the spirit of Jesus and the way of the cross and pointing people back to Jesus. Um, a little bit ago, uh, this happened within our church. We had a young couple within our church, and this happened several times. And so uh, it's not like we're pointing out anybody. It's happened several times lately. But we had a young couple in our church, and uh, they were planning to get married. And um, they were living together and not married yet. And in case you didn't know, like, you know, you shouldn't live together and not be married. It's just how it works, according to the Scripture. And so they really had one of these moments of like, whoa, like, these people love us. They're teaching us this. We're seeing this. And guess what they did? They responded in a spirit of humility. They responded in a spirit of transparency and real and repentance. And they decided, you know what? We're not going to live together until we get married. And they separated living together. They got married, they are married, and they're following Jesus today because some people came alongside them with love and with truth and with grace and with the word of God and with the gospel and pointed them as believers toward Jesus. It's prayerful, beautiful, biblical confrontation. The goal is always, always restoration. Listen to James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. It's not going to be on the screen, but listen. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth, and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever, and who is the whoever? It could be you. You can be sure that the whoever brings the sinner back from the wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. God wants you to be close to him. He wants that, and he wants to use you to help other people to be close to him and spare them from who knows what. 
This is the way of the gospel. It's not just praying a prayer and then doing everything on our own. It's the gospel over and over and over and over again. It is real. It is transparent. It is humble. It is repentant. It is the way of the cross. We need to confront with the goal of restoration. Number two, God help me to confront with caution. Confront with caution. Look at the last part of verse number one. It says, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. I don't know if this ever happens for you, but here's what I know. When I'm helping somebody, trying to guide somebody, trying to point somebody towards Jesus, it's just amazing how Satan tries to, like, mess all that up and mess with me and, like, get me off track the way I'm trying to help them get on track. Um, it's just amazing to me when I'm trying to help somebody in their marriage how God how, how Satan tries to creep up in my marriage. And by the way, let me tell you something. There's a bunch of marriages that are struggling in this room. And let me just tell you right now, one of the reasons why it's struggling is not because you failed or they failed, okay? That may be the case in some circumstances. But let me just tell you, one of the reasons why you're struggling in your marriage right now is because Satan hates you that bad. He wants to destroy your marriage. He hates everything about it. And he's trying to creep in any way that he can, okay? Any way that he can. Parenting, hard. Can we all agree? Amen. Is God trying to put space between parents and kids? Absolutely. Excuse me. Is Satan trying to put space between parents and kids? I retract that first statement. Yes, he is. Why? Because he knows if that relationship breaks down, then everything begins to break down. So your kid who's like copping that attitude, like you just got to know like Satan's trying to be at work. I'm not calling your kid Satan. You might be. But it may just be like Satan trying, you, you hear what I'm saying? And so you try to help somebody in their parenting, you try to help somebody in their marriage, you try to help somebody in their finances, you try to help someone with their morality, whatever, you better be careful. I'm here to tell you, Satan will try to creep in and get you in the very same spot. Because if the person who's trying to help the person falls off the rails, then it all falls apart, right? So gently and carefully, cautiously do we go about this, this thing of confrontation, Another story of this happening within our church was absolutely beautiful. And really, I got to thinking about this. This story is true for several people within our church, not just one. It's several people. Um, but I was thinking about one when I thought about this story. we got somebody in our church that has struggled in the past, huge, with addiction, been completely overcome with addiction. Substances just totally, totally directed their lives and guided their lives. And God brought them out of that and has freed them from that. And they've experienced restoration and they've experienced recovery. And as a result of that newfound freedom, they are gently and humbly, prayerfully helping other people um, get to Jesus who are struggling with addiction, but they're doing it very, very carefully, knowing, knowing that their past says, I've struggled with this before, I could struggle with this again. So they're taking all kinds of measures to keep themselves protected from that very thing that used to bring them down, that's bringing other people down. They're taking seriously Galatians 6, chapter 1. So again, God helped me confront with caution. Number three. God help me see when I am the hypocrite. God help me see when I'm the hypocrite. Can we all agree it's way easier to see the hypocrisy in other people than it is in ourselves? Okay, four of you are getting real right now. I'm just telling you, it's way easier for me to see the hypocrisy in you than it is for me to see the hypocrisy in myself. 
So God help me, God help us to be real, to be honest, to be transparent, and to be repentant. To say, you know what, don't want that anymore, don't want to be that way anymore. Jesus, free me, rescue me. Maybe, just maybe, you find yourself being the local Christian police, right? Calling everybody out for everything you find wrong in them. Yikes. Maybe you're a Christian guy. You're a Christian guy, all right? Everybody at work knows you're a Christian guy. You're a Christian guy, and yet you are online every day looking at filth. Maybe you're the woman who declares yourself to be this upstanding Christian woman, but you disrespect your husband and criticize him and pick him apart. Yikes. Maybe you are Mr. Churchgoer. Everybody knows you go to church, and yet you don't give, and you don't serve, and you are the most judgmental and critical person of everybody who does serve. Yikes. Oh, people, that we, we would come to the cross, that we would come to Jesus. We planned on the day that we would talk about hypocrisy to offer communion. Isn't that just a little bit, a little nerve-wracking, just a little bit? We really felt like it's a great opportunity for us to meet hypocrisy where it is and get real and get honest and get repentant. When I talked about confessing your sin earlier, again, not necessarily in this big context, but, man, you need some people around you that are believers that you know and that you can trust and that you can get real with. And listen, this morning, you need to get real with Jesus. And when we come for communion in just a few moments, we are not saying, listen to me, believers, listen to me, followers of Jesus. We are not saying, I'm good. We are not saying, I'm good enough. We are not saying that we have been righteous enough on our own. We are not saying that at all. Let me tell you what we're saying when we come for communion this morning, okay? We are going to say, I have Jesus. We are declaring that we have Jesus in our lives, that we know him, that we've experienced him, that we've placed our faith in him, that he is our savior, that he is our Lord, that he is our leader, and that we are his follower. We are declaring that we know Jesus. The second thing that we are declaring is that we want Jesus. When we come forward today, we are saying, you know what, not only do I know Jesus, but I want Jesus. Like, I I want him in my life. I want him today. I want to experience him today. I want to know him today. I want to be with him today. And then just as importantly, maybe just as huge as all of these is to declare, I need Jesus. And listen, to say that I need Jesus takes humility, right? Because for some of us, we think, well, I, I accepted him a long time ago, but I don't need him today. Listen, we need Jesus. And so if today, if today by chance you can't say, I have Jesus, I want Jesus, I need Jesus, Maybe you should sit this one out. Maybe you should really consider where your heart is right now and where your life is right now. But listen, if you can honestly say, I have Jesus, I want Jesus, I need Jesus, this is going to be the beautiful opportunity to experience what Jesus gave us, to commune with him, to worship him, to connect with him, to remember him, to remember that his body was broken for our transgressions to remember that his blood was shed for all of our sin. 
And so today, we are going to have the opportunity to remember Jesus, to declare that we have Jesus, that we want Jesus, and that we need Jesus as we take the bread and as we take the cup. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after this prayer, I want to encourage you that if you're a follower of Jesus and you're wanting to declare, I have Jesus, I want Jesus, and I need Jesus, to find one of the tables in front of you and get the bread and get the cup. If you want to come as a group and pray together, great. If you want to come as a family and pray together, it's great. If you want to go back to your seat and just have a time alone with the Lord this morning, great. But just knowing this, you're declaring, I have him, I want him, I need him. And in all of it, we are remembering him because he is our Savior. He is our hope. He is our restoration. And so when you do this, do it in remembrance of Jesus. Let's pray.